Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to the second episode Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also, we're on Spotify now, Stitcher, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, iTunes, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. Well, we're coming up uh, this Eating Disorder Awareness Month. It's not a happy topic, but I think a lot of people need to hear about it and also hear that African-American women are dealing with this issue. A lot of times on TV and films, you see uh, a white female dealing with it. You know, also males deal with eating disorders. So uh, I want to try to get this information out. I know I do a lot of shows directed at African-Americans. I also have a wonderful doctor who happens to be African-American. And uh, good morning, Dr. Rachel Good. Good morning, Joy. I'm glad to be here with you. Thank you so much. Uh, She's an assistant professor at the School of Social Work, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. It's so funny because my other guest is from North Carolina. Um, Yes, North Carolina. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, seriously, so, you know, there's what people here are anorexia and bulimia. Now, let's talk about the anorexia. Tell people what is anorexia. So with anorexia, individuals, they are restricting their eating. And so they often restrict to the point where they are not getting the caloric requirements that they need, and often mm-hmm. their weight is um, in a dangerously low level to be diagnosed with anorexia. However, there are individuals who will be restricting their eating and not eating enough, but they don't meet the weight requirements for it. So they may not get a diagnosis, so they are hidden um, in plain sight. So often I think people have thought, oh, your weight needs to be low enough to be diagnosed with an eating disorder or, Mm -hmm. you know, for us to be concerned. And we miss a lot of people because – um, you can have an eating disorder at all shapes and sizes. You know, um, the behavior is, you know, what we're concerned about. But to get that anorexia diagnosis, the, your weight has to get below um, a certain threshold. Now, what are some risk factors for somebody to be anorexic? Why, why, who, who would be anorexic? You know what I'm saying? What, who, is there a certain profile? So, so first of all, we would say, we would call them you know, people who, who have been diagnosed with anorexia you know, people who struggle with anorexia, we have been realizing for the importance of people-first language, right? Okay. And so what, so some of the risk factors, I think one of the ones that we know the most about is um, that thin ideal, right? That's the historic mm-hmm. um, reason why um, many researchers have found that 
eating disorders might begin in certain communities, um, pred- mm-hmm. the predominantly white community, is that um, that desire to be thin, that pressure, that cultural pressure to be thin. However, we're also realizing that eating disorders do up for a whole lot of reasons. And so many people are dealing with um, depression, they're dealing with trauma, stress, discrimination, racism, you know, um, mm-hmm. the culture to stress, you know, being in those environments. Let's say you are a person of color and you're in an environment where you're the only one. And that stress, there is just nothing like being, you know, kind of that minoritized, you know, and you're feeling that. Um, yes. And that can be that pressure on you can also um, cause you to develop disordered eating behaviors. It's nope, really, nope. it's complicated. Yeah, it's a lot of factors involved. Now, what's the difference? What is bulimia? Can you talk to people about what bulimia is? Sure. So with bulimia nervosa, individuals, they will, um, they will have periods where they will eat a large amount of food where they, and they will experience the loss of control. So they feel like they can't stop even though they want to. And then they will also induce vomiting. So these are people are purging. They will um, find a way to kind of get rid of the food intake. Um, and so, yeah, this one can be very, you know, disconcerting because people, again, can hide this very well. But the, the um, consequences of bulimia can be, you know, very harmful to one's health. important to recognize this. Now, what happens, I understand sometimes people, like, it can mess up your esophagus with anorexia because you're constantly, like, throw, uh, the, the bulimia, I'm sorry, throwing up. What are some, you know, what happens when people are doing these disorders? Um, they're, they're, they're manipulating their bodies in these weird ways. What are some things that happen to them? Yeah, they can, um, one, they can be dehydrated. Um, people can experience, like you said, that inflamed esophagus. Um, their menstruation, they can um, have irregular menstruation. It also um, helps people can have be depressed, you know, and it can influence risk of harming themselves. Um, and so th- these consequences are can be really, really dangerous. So it's really a psychological issue, it sounds. It's not just about the food. It sounds like a psychological. Is that is that joy? Say that it is not just about the food. I think people maybe focus only on that outward part, but people mm-hmm. develop disordered eating behaviors for so many other reasons, and the food is just the symptom, right? It's just the outward symptom, but we have to look beneath that surface to really see what else has been going on. And a lot of times it's masking pain. Pain often precedes the development of an eating disorder. People are, whether that's pain from their past, pain that they're currently managing. And so we find ways to manage it the best way we can. And I think um, your listeners can probably relate. If it's not eating, we all have something that we do to manage you know, our pains, our stress, our negative emotions. Mm-hmm. And so for mm-hmm. people who struggle with eating disorders, that is a way that they can control sometimes things that are uncontrollable in their other parts of their life. They can control this. Um, they maybe have histories of sexual abuse. They have histories of um, traumatic experiences. And sometimes it's poverty, right? If I don't have enough food to eat and then I have a period of the month where all of a sudden I maybe have access to it, it'll set you up to have a binge eating episode. Mm. And so it's so, I think we don't have a, there's not enough attention displayed to some of those other reasons, but pain is involved. And we have to find a way to help people 
and get them treatment. Now, let's talk about guys a little bit. People don't, when you say eating disorder, I mean, for me, initially a woman comes to my head. But have you had experience of dealing with men? And how is their, uh, are their symptoms different? Uh, are there reasons different than, why, than women? Can you talk about men and eating disorders a little bit? Yeah, so sometimes for men, they have, um, there's the objectification of like a certain body image that men are the ideal male body type, you know, muscular, you know, lean and muscular at the same time. And so this objectification often can cause, you know, um, like a body dysmorphic disorder, right? And so individuals might um, have compulsions to spend many hours in the gym. They might um, have, you know, spend a lot of money on supplements, abnormal eating patterns, mm-hmm. use of steroids. You know, there's, it's, it's amazing how we can find a way to make people feel that the body that they are in is not good enough. And we as a culture have found a way to make everybody feel that way about their bodies. And so the thing is about men is that they can hide in plain sight because, again, you, we don't hear enough about men in eating disorders. But, no. you know, men have anorexia nervosa, binge eating disorder, bulimia nervosa, you know, and right. often they don't feel – when they go for treatment, they feel out of place because a lot of things are catered to women. Um and so, and they can also even have higher mortality risk with, mm. um, you know, some of their concerns. So it's really, again, we have to find a way. We have this image of who has an eating disorder. And often they're white, they're, you know, an adolescent. But a lot of other people have eating disorders, and we have to bring awareness to that. Now, is that something people grow out of? Like, in certain, like we said, we're thinking young, we're thinking white, we're thinking mm-hmm. female but it affects people that are older than a teenager, yes. correct? Yes, that's right, Joy, that's right. And so I think that's what people, I think some people have grown out of their, you know, disordered eating, but people, you know, older people also are impacted as well. Um, we see a large amount of symptoms, I think, younger ages, but that doesn't mean that older people are not impacted. Now, what do you do as a friend, as a family member, and you're seeing or you find that somebody, you know, has been binge eating um, or has been throwing up, what do you do? And is it different? Like, so the person that's throwing up um, and doing the binge eating or the person that's not eating, how do you approach them? So I think the first thing is to learn as much as you can. Before you approach, educate yourself, because I think a lot of well-meaning people have done a lot of harm to their loved ones, making certain comments, you know, just certain things that, again, your heart is good. You are trying to help your loved one, but you may not know enough. So that's what I would encourage everyone to do, to read as much as you can and rehearse what you want to say. Lead with the fact that you love them and you mm. care, you know, and I statements, right? Focus on, you know, I've noticed in a certain behavior that you've noticed. I'm okay. You're not eating dinner with us anymore. Or mm-hmm. I'm worried about how much you're going to the gym, you know, and um, also just, you know, stick to the facts. Um, and so it's important, you know, to just talk about the behaviors and changes that you have seen. And it's important to show that you're, you care, but be firm, right? And, um, you know, so if they say, oh, I promise not to tell anyone or if you do, you know, or avoid making promises or expectations. I won't tell anybody. I promise. You know, you can't really promise that. 
Um, and then also just remember the stigma. People are feeling ashamed. And so if you can do something to just remind the people that you love, there is no shame in admitting, you know, that you struggle with an eating disorder. It's not anything to be ashamed about. Um, but be prepared that people may not react positively. <laughs> I think in our minds you think, oh, I'm going to tell them, that, and they're going to say, oh, thank you so much. That's probably not going to happen. So oh. you need to prepare yourself for some resistance, and that it's going to be a process. Right. What's, the, what's this thing ahead. I heard about uh, rumination disorder? Now, how is that different? Is that is that different than the binge and uh, throwing up rumination disorder? Yeah. And so um, what happens is they will spit up the food from their stomach and then rechew it and then swallow it again, spit it out. Um, and so people, you know, kind of repeatedly and unintentionally do that. And so, um, and because it hasn't been digested, it might taste, you know, it may not be as acidic, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a a way that people have, it's amazing, you know, um, how that can, you know, how varied the disorder eating behaviors can be, but that is one that people can struggle with. Now, what are the treatments in terms of going to a therapist? Is there medication? What are some treatments? So treatment options, they're very. So I think one of the common treatments is if someone can get in the care of um, a, you know, a clinician, a, a counselor, social worker, a psychologist to receive treatment for their eating disorders, that is probably the, the first common way. And so a lot of people mm-hmm. will go to, you know, if they can get, they have insurance, they have the money to access this treatment, they can get help. But let's say you don't have that. There are a lot of other self-help resources. You'd be surprised at how effective some self-help books can be. Um, I can think of one, Dialectical Behavior Therapy um, for Eating Disorders by uh, Deborah Safer. There's there's a couple of different appetite awareness training by Linda Craighead. You know, there's books, Overcoming Binge Eating, by Fairburn, there's a number of books that people, you can buy this. And, it, again, you may not have access to the treatment, but you can still go through these chapters and get help and get support. Um, and there's also online support groups find beneficial to be a part of. With COVID-19, it's really making us have to rethink, right, what, yeah. what can people do for treatment. And good thing is that we do have telehealth options, but, you know, there might be various reasons people may not be ready for that. So I often – and we have research to show that self-help options can be really beneficial to help people improve to a certain degree, right? Um, certain, I think there's a certain threshold that, you know, if you talk to with your doctor, you may realize that you may not be at the place where that might be appropriate, but for some it might be a, a good first step. Now, you um, got a grant from, it's called the Feeding Hope Grant from yes. the National Eating Disorders Association. Can you tell us a little bit about that and um, yes. what you're doing with that? Yeah. So one thing that we realize is that black women have eating disorders as well, but we're not getting treatment. We're not going in for treatment. And so how mm-hmm. do we come up with, how can we reach our women? And so one thing I noticed is that primary care might be a place that could be a potential option. And so we conducted a study where we recruited black women um, in North Carolina to, who were part of a primary care system and used 
you know, they were already coming to primary care. And so mm-hmm. we, were, we recruited them, people who already were coming in for treatment, who maybe wouldn't be diagnosed with, let's yeah. say, binge eating disorder, but they have some traits, right? They might be binging a couple times a month. You know, they might manage, they might be struggling with weight management, you know, certain things that might per- preclude the risk of an eating disorder. And so we brought them in and we helped them go through a treatment that's called appetite awareness training, where people mm-hmm. kind of relearn their biological signals of hunger and satiety and kind of relearn how to connect to themselves again. We're very good, I think, at giving people advice to help them disconnect from their mm-hmm. bodies, but okay. really helping people learn to listen once again and to use that as a foundation to begin to change their eating behaviors. Now, how did you get interested in eating disorders? I mean, you, you become a doctor, you can do so many different, I mean, the human body, the human mind. How did you decide that eating disorders was something that you were interested in? So, actually, so I practice as a clinical social worker. Um, I had my PhD in social work, and as a clinical social worker, I worked at a college counseling center. And so I saw a lot of clients who had tradition, you know, again, what you would think as common eating disorders in a college age mm-hmm. population. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of clients with that. But I also worked in a community setting, and I saw people managing their eating on a different spectrum. And I thought, huh, we don't, we don't know enough about that, right? We're not learning right. enough about how food insecurity is affecting, you know, people's eating behaviors or, you know, people, you know, the sexual abuse, the trauma. And so in my own, I had my own personal experiences to trying to manage my weight and all of that combined, I just realized I needed to go back to school and I couldn't do as much as I wanted to at this level. And I needed to focus you know, mm-hmm. and I wanted yeah. to just bring attention to the stories of African Americans and other marginalized populations who we do not talk about and we don't have enough treatments for, um, and really just focus on um, develop programs that help people in my community. Now, you said something food insecurity. Some people may not know exactly what that means. Can you talk to the audience about what that means? Sure, Joy. So it's an, it's realizing that some people don't know for sure if they're going to have access to food. And so there are about 11 million people in this country who struggle with, you know, not having access to enough food. And so there are certain, they might skip meals. Um, they, and then we call people who have very low food securities when they're concerned that the children may not get enough food to eat. And so mm-hmm. often one of the things that, you know, our country has is we have the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, you know, or what was commonly known as food stamps. And so people could, you know, that helps to alleviate it. But we've also realized that this experience of not knowing where or when or feeling like you don't have enough food to eat can set someone up to experience binge eating um, because people feel deprived. And when you feel deprived, when you get in the presence of food again, sometimes you can't even control yourself, right? You can't even control. You just feel like I have to eat because your body this has had gone without food for so long. And so we're starting to see in the research that this, we have to find a way to um, be able to kind of help, you know, and obviously find a way to get everyone the food that they need. You know, that's one of the right. first obvious ways, but that it well, really wanna, does impact binge eating. Uh, now, I want to let the people know, we mentioned that you got a grant from the National Eating Disorders uh, Organization. I want to let people know that they have a website, you can go to nationaleatingdisorders.org. They have a 1-800 number. 
Um, they have uh, translation services on that 1-800-931-2237. Again, 1-800-931-2237. And it's available, uh, it says, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern. They also have text. You can text that number, 1-800-931-2237. And they have chat available, chats available Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern, and Fridays, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So there's some services there, and they have different support groups. Um, like you said, this um, COVID thing has been making it difficult. Do you see patients now? Are you using telehealth as an option to, to see patients? So I mostly do research at this stage. And so when I'm recruiting participants who are kind of managing their sorting, we definitely are using telehealth options. But I'm, mm-hmm. so, I'm actually really glad that telehealth has become, you know, we don't have to, I think clinicians often have a fight, you know, to get that covered by insurance. But now yeah. that we have that option, I'm hoping that it will create a pathway for more people to get the treatment they need. Um, yeah. Well, I think that um, it's, it's an interesting thing you were talking about, the family educating themselves, because, you know, family members sometimes, like you said, they have a vision of who you should be. Mm, say that, Joy. <laughs> family members have a vision of who you should be, mm-hmm. and that can add to the stress of you trying to manage whether you're anorexic or a person with anorexia or a person with bulimia, and you're trying to manage this. Uh, that can add to the stress. Yes, you can. know, some people already you were you were a fat kid, or mm. um, you're too skinny. Like in the African American community, you want to have, you know, curves, and you know how. But you know, people are getting these butt injections. I mean, they've kind of yeah. calmed down. But I'm just saying, people try to do things to manipulate their body into a certain. So it's not always just to be skinny. Right. Right. You Joy. know. Yeah. Sometimes it's a different shape that is desired. And in the African-American community, if you don't have that, that bump in the back, then you can get teased, you know, mm-hmm. um, a lot, you know, about that. So um, I, I think, is where else can they go for help? Do you have any other suggestions that people can go, other organizations? Um, so for, if it's for asking, I always recommend um, therapy for black women, you know, because you can find a counselor in your area. Um, mm-hmm. who can be, you know, someone in your region who you can go and get help from. Um, I also recommend there's this new book that came out that I think will help people kind of maybe put the dots together. It's okay. um, on treatment uh, for black women um, and, eating, and eating disorders. And so it was written by, it was edited, it's this collective of uh, black women in all different clinical professions who have developed expertise in treating eating disorders. And so it's edited by Mazella Fuller and Charlene Small, Treating Black Women with Eating Disorders is the title. And so, again, it's a a start. I know I spoke with both the authors, um, and they told me how people just reading it, it, it was therapeutic because they started to see their stories. Right, started mm. to recognize that, oh, my goodness, <laughs> this is what I have been struggling with, and it's been really powerful. So that's another tool I would recommend. Send me, send me that an email because I'll um, put it out on social media um, sure thing. for people sure thing. To, to, to know what it is. Um, I, I will um, post it, like, on Twitter and things like that. Now, where can people find you 
Um, like say they want to get involved with, with like a clinical trial. Is, is that what you're working on now? Sure. So I'm at, on Twitter. I'm Dr. Rachel Good. And then um, my lab website is livingfreelabs.org. Um, and so you can either, um, you know, send me a direct message. And on our website, we talk about studies that we are currently recruiting for. And so people can go there if they want to learn more and leave a comment if they want to uh, get involved. Great. I think we, we shared a lot of good information today, and I hope that it was helpful to someone. And, again, I want to recommend that you can reach out to uh, the National Eating Disorders Organization, and they have the chat, the call, the text. The call is 1-800-931-2237. You can also text that number, again, 1-800-931-2237. And uh, during the week, they have an open chat. And they have different support groups, they have a community, and they have ways for family members and friends to learn more about um, these disorders. And again, it's, it's not just about the food. It's really a, a psychological issue that people can get help for. It's not going to be for the rest of your that's life. Right. And I think that's something that the people who are going through also need to know. It's not forever. Mm. Is it not exactly, forever? Joy. It's not, good? yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it, it doesn't have to be forever. It mm. doesn't have to be forever. And I think that's the place a lot of people are just that freedom, right, to, to realize, oh, I don't think about this anymore. I don't deal with this anymore. And that is possible. That is mm. totally possible. And there are ways, and we want to support people getting to that place. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Good, for coming on this morning, taking your Saturday morning. I know you might have wanted to sleep this late. But I appreciate it, and um, I hope that we have helped some people today. Yes, I am honored. Thank you, Joy. I really had a good time hanging out with you. All right. Well, take care. I'll talk to you later, okay? Okay. Sounds great. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, we were just speaking about eating disorders, and earlier today I was speaking with author uh, Crystal D. Giles about her book, Take Back the Block. I'm going to be giving some copies of that book away. And um, Dr. Good is going to be emailing me a book that might be helpful for people dealing with different eating disorders. I uh, might be giving away a copy of that. I think that might be useful for, for some people. So follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, uh, Saturdays with Joy Keys. And I hope that you have a wonderful week. And please, you know, uh, if you can, you know, wear your mask, still washing your hands. Um, you know, the vaccine is out there, but a lot of people can't get it. So we still need to follow some of those basic, you know, guidelines um, that are that we were following before. All right. Take it easy. To some, a baby's babbling doesn't mean much, but it does, especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.